Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. love Christmas, man, filled with all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, Christmas Eve services and, and shopping and singing and, and all the rest. You know, there's a, a Christmas song, man, the, the writer, I don't know who wrote it, but he really nails it. And I tell you what, there's Christmas music playing everywhere, and so I'm sure you've heard it. But uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But he goes through all the things, you know, with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's also the hap- happiest season of all. Uh, with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. Because, you know, there'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories. I don't tell ghost stories in Christmas. I'm thinking maybe I know what he's talking about. Uh, and tales of the glories of Christmas as long ago. Man, you know that all sorts of fun stuff going on for Christmas. Lots of festivities and Christmas traditions. Uh, Christmas trees and, and parties and gift exchanges and dinners and, and caroling. Uh, you know, it's funny. Last Sunday, I told the story of our, our Christmas caroling adventures at Siskiyou Christian Fellowship and how they went awry. And this week, as I'm studying for, for uh, service on Sunday, we get a knock at the door, and it was 4-H, and they came Christmas caroling to our house. Oh, you guys did such a good job. I opened the door, and there's the, the truck towing the trailer, and my heart like panicked for a minute, remembering that we ran somebody over when we were Christmas caroling. But they did such a good, good job. It was wonderful. We were so blessed. It was great. So Christmas caroling, a, a tradition, but shopping, shopping is the most participated in Christmas tradition of all. Everybody goes Christmas shopping. And what cracks me up is that people who refuse to acknowledge Jesus still buy presents, and they give them to each other. And say, oh, man, gotcha. You guys are still celebrating. Come on. I mean, uh, but me and my wife, we've had this goal for Christmas shopping every single year as far as I can remember. And that goal is to be done Christmas shopping by Thanksgiving. It's a pretty lofty goal, and we have never met it, not even once. <laughs> this year, I thought we were going to nail it, but we still had some, some extra stuff to get, and we were up at Dick's last week, and uh, I needed to, to run in and get some, some stocking stuffers, but Casey didn't feel like going in, so her and Bram stayed in the car, and so I went in, and I got all the things that I needed, and I came out to where the car should be, and the car was gone. And I thought, oh, you little stinker, you're pranking me to get me back. And so I thought, now I'm faced with this decision. I either call my wife and ask her where she is and admit defeats, or I put my sleuthing skills to the test and I find where she is, get into the car like nothing happened, like you're not going to get me. So I decide I'm going to, I'm looking up and down the aisle, I'm sneaking around, and I notice that people are noticing me. And then I realize that I either, A, look like someone who is just completely lost and in need of help, or that I'm casing cars to see which ones I'm going to break into. And so I said, oh man, okay, what am I going to do here? And I came to my senses, and I looked around and realized that I was looking in the wrong part of the parking lot. My wife hadn't even moved the car. I was just actually lost. And so I got in the car, and I closed the door and pretended like nothing happened. No, I told her what happened. But, you know, we can be like that. We're so busy with the hustle and bustle that we can just completely lose sight of even what we're doing. And I have nothing against 
Christmas tradition. I don't even have anything against, you know, the fat guy in the red suit with the big beard who likes to trespass every year. I have nothing against Christmas traditions until they become the main focus. It's when they begin to eclipse what's really important that we have a problem. And that's why I love doing what we're doing this morning. That's why I love coming to places like this on days like today where we can really, where we can really concentrate on what's important. Where we can really focus on the Lord. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to start this morning by just reading the Christmas story. And we'll uh, do that in, in Matthew. We can turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll be in Matthew 1 and we'll be in Luke 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And then the actual events as it played out there, uh, the night Jesus was born in Luke uh, chapter 2 and verse 8. This is what Linus read in Charlie Brown Christmas. I love it when they couldn't figure out, well, what's Christmas all about, Charlie Brown? Linus knew. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Man, what a wonderful story. What a wonderful reality for us that 2,000 years ago, a little baby was born in a manger, in a feeding trough, in, uh, you know, to two teenage parents from a podunk town in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by scandal, really. You know, I mean, the story of Jesus's birth, what a crazy event. You know, Joseph and Mary being separated, Mary going up to help her cousin Elizabeth, showing up before they're married, pregnant. Can you imagine from Joseph's perspective, like, uh, I'm sorry, can you tell me that one more time again? You said the Lord got you pregnant? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Just this is great. And you know that the people, they lived in a little town. The scandal. But it doesn't matter. Jesus came. He was born. Emmanuel, God with us. They shall call his name 
Jesus. Jesus means God is salvation. He came to save. He came in humility. He lived a perfect life. He loved humanity completely and he gave his life sacrificially to save us, to save us from sin and from death. And that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about Jesus. And so we, we, we focus on that. Man, the season, it's all about Jesus. But why did Jesus come? And we know, we could say just in a nutshell, that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And you would be right. That is why Jesus came. But there's more to it. You know, you guys have, have heard the, the 12 days of Christmas, that, that Christmas song that we don't really know any of the words to, so we mumble. We know, and a partridge in a pear tree. And I know five golden rings, but the rest, five golden rings. And then, you know, we know the last word. But the 12 days of Christmas, right? This morning, we're going to talk about the 12 reasons for Christmas. Because why did Jesus come? To save us, absolutely. But Jesus, in the, the Gospels, he gives us the 12 reasons that he came. And that's what I want to look at this morning, uh, to get a, a more in-depth picture of why the Lord came, to encourage us, to be an example to us. And the first uh, verse I want to look at this morning is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. And it says, Do not think, and this is Jesus, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So first of all, why did Jesus came? Jesus came to fulfill the law, to fulfill the law. So what is the law, and why and how did Jesus come to fulfill it? Well, the law is God's commands. The law is the Ten Commandments. It's God's standard for humanity. Uh, this is the law. This is how you are to, to live your life. It's God's perfect standard. And anything out of that perfect standard, anything besides that, it's called sin. And we've talked about this lots before, that the word sin is actually an archery term, and it means to miss the mark. It means to miss the perfect bullseye. Anything less than perfection is sin. And so God has given us as humanity his standard. This is how I expect you to live perfectly in thought and in deed from birth to death. And anything outside of that is sin. You say, oh, man, I mean, we're all sinners then. Exactly. You got it. Because there's none of us who are perfect, right? We have all sinned. That's what the Bible tells us. And fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so you say, well, then what's the big deal? There's none of us who are perfect. Well, here's the big deal. That Romans continues on, and it says that the wages of sin is death. You see, God has given us a perfect standard. But when we don't meet that standard, when we miss the mark, there is a penalty due for that. And that penalty, according to the law, is death. And so Jesus came to fulfill the law. He, he came to pay the price for us. See, sin was the thing that stands between us as humanity and God. It's that, that great chasm between us and God that is, is uncrossable. But Jesus came to be the bridge, to forgive us of our sins. And he did that by fulfilling the law. And he fulfilled the law. How, what does it mean that Jesus fulfilled the law? Well, he fulfilled, first of all, the requirements of the law. How did Jesus fulfill the requirements of the law? He lived a perfect life. Jesus is the only sinless man to ever walk the face of the planet. He lived a perfect life, the, the pure and spotless lamb. 
But not only did he fulfill the requirements of the law in living a perfect life, he satisfied the debt of the law in that he had our sin poured upon himself. He paid the price for sin. So he fulfilled the requirements of the law and he satisfied the debt incurred by the law to remove that barrier that stood between us and him. That we don't approach God based on our merit according to the law. We don't approach the Lord and say, I'm good enough. I've been obedient enough. We approach God the Father based on the merits of Jesus because he lived a perfect life and paid for my sin. And so why did Jesus come? He came to fulfill the law to remove the barrier that stood between us and him. Boy, what a wonderful truth that is to remember this morning. But not only did he come to fulfill the law, but he came to bear witness to the truth. John 18, 37, our second verse this morning. It says, then Pilate said to Jesus, <clears throat> so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am king. For this purpose, Jesus says, I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. <clears throat> Jesus says, I've come to bear witness to the truth. Notice that Jesus did not come to say, I bear witness to a truth. Notice Jesus didn't say, I I've come to bear witness to my truth. He says, I've come to bear witness to the truth, the, the one truth. See, <clears throat> we live in a world where truth is, is on a sliding scale now, where truth has become relative, where truth is dictated by the state of my emotional uh, being. I say, you know, uh, this is the way I feel. This is what I want to be true. And therefore, that is what is true. We make up our own truth. But Jesus didn't come to say, I, I, I bear witness to uh, a truth or my truth, he said, I've come bear witness to the truth. Absolute. And that's what you guys have to understand. Popular culture says that if you believe it, it's so. Hey, you go and live your truth. If you believe it, then it's real. That's a lie. That's not true. There's one truth, and that is Jesus. And so who gets to dictate what's true and what's not? Who gets to set the bar? Who gets to set the Well, the one who created everything. That seems fair, doesn't it? The one who spoke the world into existence. The one who is the king over all of creation. He's the one who gets it. And by the way, he is truth. What did Jesus say of himself? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth. He gets to determine. He and he alone. And I love that. I really do. I love that in my life, I have a reference point for True North. Right? We've all seen Pirates of the Caribbean. Right? Johnny Depp, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow. He's got that compass. Right? And every time he gets captured, they, oh, you got your junky gun and your jumpy, junky compass that doesn't lead anywhere. But it did lead somewhere. Remember, where did it lead? It was leading to the, the treasure. It was leading to what his heart desired. See, that's the truth of the world. It leads us to whatever our heart desires. Here's the problem with our heart. It's fickle. It's wicked. It's deceitful. It leads us to all sorts of things. See, we have the real compass that points us to true north, no matter what our emotions say, and that's the Bible. And I so appreciate that as a Christian. That's what Jesus says. I've come to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth, that's us, will listen to it. Anytime we have a question in our lives, 
as to, to which direction we should go, what's right or what's wrong in any given area, man, we can go to the word. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. Number three, Jesus came to proclaim the good news. Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to proclaim the good news. What is the good news? The gospel. The greatest news that humanity has ever heard, that there's a savior, that we can be saved from the penalty of our sins, that we can be made right with God, that we can have eternal life. And the best news ever, it's life and death. Imagine if somebody came up with the cure for cancer, like the legit cure, with a pill, any kind of cancer could be cured. What a wonderful day that would be. But then imagine that that person took that good news, that information, and they just kept it to themselves. They hid it. They didn't share it. Say, man, what a tragedy. Tragedy, what a tragedy, what a travesty. I mean, pastors can make up their own words, but that's a stretch. <laughs> uh, what a tragedy that we think of all the, the, the death and the suffering that could have been prevented if that good news would have been proclaimed. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to proclaim the good news that we might be saved. And that's what we are Christians uh, to do also in his example. We are to, to shine the good light. We are the, the, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We're to proclaim the good news in the beginning of Acts there's that account where Jesus told the disciples, man, to, to go into, uh, you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that you would start uh, the most you know, intimate circle of your life, your friends and your family, and that would just expand, that you would be that bearer of good news just like Jesus was. He came to, to bring liberty, to share the good news, and we are to do the thing. But here's the thing about good news. It's only good news if we receive it. Right? It doesn't matter what the message is. If it's never received, then it's all for naught. There's a story of a soldier in World War II. His name was Hiro Onoda. And Hiro Onoda, he was a Japanese imperial soldier. And there on December 26, 1944, the Japanese, they, they were sent to Lubang Island. It's in the Philippines. And they were there for a couple months until February 28th, 1945. And that's when the U.S. forces came and really uh, took over. I mean, and as the U.S. forces came and took over, these last remaining Japanese soldiers were told to take to the hills. Run. Go to the hills. Uh, and so they were there for six months Six months, they're living in the jungle in the Philippines. And one day, they were out hunting, and they went and they, they killed a cow. And as they were killing this cow, they found a leaflet. And this leaflet read, the war ended on August 15th. Come down from the mountains. So they had been living as soldiers up in the mountains for, uh, you know, a couple months. And the war had been over. And so now they have this good news, this information. Boy, the war's over. Come down out of the mountains. But they didn't believe the legitimacy of the message. They thought, boy, the allies are being tricky. We're not going to believe it. And so it wasn't until 1952. Boy, some, what, geez, I mean, many years later, almost 10 years later, eight years later, 
Seven years later. I'll just keep adjusting it until I figure it out. Seven years later. Some seven years later, boy, their families begin to, are you guys going to come home? And so they flew over an aircraft and dropped leaflets with pictures of these soldiers' family and messages, please come home. They still did not believe that the letters and the, 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 the leaflets were legitimate. And so they said it was a trick. And so, again, another decade or so goes by. And then on February 20th, 1974 now, there was a young man by the name of uh, Norio Suzuki. And he was a young Japanese guy. He said, I'm going to travel the world, and I'm going to find Lieutenant Anoda. I'm going to find a panda, and I'm going to find the abominable snowman. So this, this soldier, this Japanese soldier, he'd become legend. And now this young man says, man, I'm going to go find him. And so he travels around and actually finds Hiro Anoda, this Japanese imperial soldier who had been hiding even though the war was over. And he says, listen, man, the war's over. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been 29 years. You're free. And still... Hiro Anoda did not believe. He said, I'm going to have to talk to my, my general. I have to hear from a commanding officer in order to be relieved from my duty. And there was a man they actually sent, uh, Major uh, Yoshimi Tanganuchi, to come and relieve this soldier, Hiro Anoda, from his duty. And on March 9th, 1974, he finally surrendered, turned over his sword, turned over his weapon, uh, turned over the dagger that his mother had given him, 29 years, he was there needlessly. Needlessly, because he refused to receive the good news that the war was over. He, he refused to receive the good news that, that he was free. So he stayed captive. And, and I think about the gospel message, right? How, how the, the good news is proclaimed, and we can hear it over and over and over again, and we can reject it just like Hero did. See, it's not good news until we receive it as good news. And how many people stay in bondage and captivity needlessly just because they don't believe the legitimacy of the message? And I want to tell you this morning, if you have heard the gospel message over and over, where you said, I don't know, I don't trust, ah, it seems far-fetched. Man, believe this morning. Make it yours. Jesus came. He died on the cross for your sin to set you as a captive free and all you need to do to make that your own is to receive it this morning and you can be free. Don't live in captivity needlessly like this man did. It's Christmas, right? Tonight, many of us are gonna open presents. Tomorrow, a lot of us are going to open presents. Imagine if you ran to the Christmas tree and you grabbed your presents, got your name on it, and you said, wow, that's cool, and you just... It doesn't matter how amazing the gift is. If you don't make it your own, it's of little value. God gave us the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. Man, make it your own. Jesus came to proclaim the good news. Receive that this morning. Fourthly, Jesus came to call sinners. Mark 2.17 says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love that. Jesus didn't come to call the self-righteous. He didn't come to call the hypocrite. He didn't come to call the proud. He didn't come to call the judgmental. He came to call the sinner, the lost, the addicted, the broken, the one who admits his need for being saved. That's who Jesus came to save. And I love that because it reminds us that God didn't come for the upper crust, he didn't come for those who had their acts together. You know, to say, boy, I've got it all together and all buttoned up, that's an illusion. We all wrestle with our carnal nature. And when we admit that, boy, that's who God came to save. 
It's so encouraging to me to remember that the Lord came for us in our brokenness. It was while we were yet sinners that he died for us. You do not need to get your act together to come to Jesus. You don't have to get everything in order and kick that habit and, and do away with that before you can come to the Lord. The Lord says, come as you are. Blemishes, wrinkles, the whole nine yards. I remember my grandma when I was, was little, she wouldn't go anywhere until she put on her face, right? I got to put on my face. She was right. No, I'm just kidding. I love my grandma. She, she didn't really. But we don't have to put on any front to come to the Lord. He says, come as you are, bring all of your baggage. Here's the beautiful thing. He receives us open arms. He doesn't, you don't have to clean yourself up. When you come to him, though, he begins to clean you up. And that's the important thing that we have to understand because we live in a culture that says, all right, I'm coming to Jesus just as I am. But then Jesus, you're going to accept my life where I am. You're going to accept me in all of my sin and this is who I am. And that's, Jesus didn't save you to leave you where you are. And when you come to the Lord, he has open arms, but we don't come in pride. We come in surrender. Never forget that. We come to the Lord waving our white flag saying, Lord, my life is yours. But I love that. He came for the sinner. He came for those who need him the most. Fifthly, Jesus came to give us light. John 12, 46 says, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Boy, sin threw the world into a state of spiritual darkness. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, man, there was darkness that covered the world. Jesus came to shine light in that darkness. Why? To show us the direction which we might go, right? Proverbs uh, 9.14 says, The way of the wicked is darkness. They know not what makes them stumble. Those of us who have children know that feeling when in the middle of the night one of your children is crying and you jump out of bed and you go and, and you, you go to their bedside to see what's going on. I won't stand here and pretend like that's me, that's my wife. Guys, you know that it's true. Some of you guys might do it. But, but you rush into your child's room, and I have once or twice in my life, for sure. <laughs> and you, you run into that room to check on your child who needs you, but you forget that your child loves Legos and Hot Wheels and in there it's dark and you're stumbling but you don't know what makes you stumble because you can't see your way. That's what Proverbs says. We stumble in darkness as wicked. But Jesus came to shine his light that we might know which way to go. Check this out in Isaiah chapter 92. It says, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. That's us. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And praise the Lord for that. I'm so glad for that reality, that the light has come and shown us the way that we ought to go. Jesus, number six, came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10, that's what it says. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I remember when I was a little kid, I lived uh, in a neighborhood where behind our house there were some older kids. They were probably eight, nine, ten years older than me. And all I wanted to do was hang out with them. They were such cool kids. And I was always pestering them. Hey, you guys want to play? You guys want to play? And finally one day they're like, yeah, we'll play with you. Let's play hide and seek. So I was like, cool. And, and one of the guys showed me this awesome hiding spot. It was down in a live well of uh, an ocean boat that my neighbor had. And so I'm down in there all by myself in the dark in spider webs and all the rest. And these guys are playing with me. It's great. And 10 minutes goes by. And 20 minutes goes by. And then I start to panic and I start to cry. They totally just punked me. They got me to hide, and they never came to found me. 
That was the worst feeling ever. I'm so glad that that is not the way the Lord is with us. We're lost without him. But do you know that the Lord is seeking after you actively? The Lord is pursuing you and me. He desires to save us. We see that illustrated for us in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15. There's the three parables. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The shepherd left the 99 to go find that one sheep who went astray. The woman who had 10 coins, boy, she lost one and she flipped the house upside down, shining the light everywhere to find that one coin. The story of the prodigal son who went away to do his own thing. The father never stopped looking for him. And when that son came home, when he hit the gate, the father was running down the road to receive him with open arms. He never stopped looking and God never stops looking for you. He is seeking you, that which is lost. And I love that the Lord does that. He pursues us. He he sees us as, as valuable in his sight. He is actively pursuing us. He's looking for you this morning. And be found by him. Don't hide from the Lord. There's nowhere you can go where you can hide, by the way. If the Lord has been tugging on your heartstrings to give your life to him, man, he's never going to stop searching for you until, you until you give in. Number seven, Jesus came to serve and to give his life. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is a ransom? Right When we think of ransom, we think of being kidnapped, right? When we're kidnapped, not that we are kidnapped. No, I wasn't going to say that. I said it a different way first service, and it still sounded the same way. When we're kidnapped, not that we are kidnapped, but when somebody gets kidnapped, that's a better way to say it. When somebody gets kidnapped, there's that price that's on their head for their freedom, and that is a ransom, right? Remember in the 70s, the, the Patty Hearst scandal? She was uh, the granddaughter of a, a rich newspaper tycoon, uh, the, the Hearst Castle, um, th- that's their whole situation. Anyways, she kind of staged her own kidnapping and they demanded a ransom of millions of dollars. That was the price on her head. That was the price that was required to set her free. Well, when we sin, boy, there's a ransom. There's a price tag on your head. It's a price that you couldn't pay, but it's a price that Jesus paid. Jesus laid down his life. He was the ransom for us. He paid that price that we might be saved. And, and, and it was a high cost that he, he paid. It wasn't something that he, he desired to do. Uh, he did, he came, but it wasn't a fun situation, I should say, to endure the cross, despising the shame. He did that for us, for those of us that he, he loved and saved. And so uh, Jesus was one who came and, and laid down his life as a servant, as a servant, He laid down his life as a ransom for us. Now, you guys remember the story of Jesus in the upper room there with his disciples? It was the night before Jesus was crucified. And there he's trying to just, you know, lay all this truth out for his disciples. And there they are arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. All the while, they had neglected the most basic of hospitalities in washing each other's feet. That's what you would do in those days. You wouldn't just come romping in the house with your stinky old nasty feet, right? Lots of us have shoes off policies in our houses. Even then it was, it was more important because it, they just had gross feet. I mean, stinky leather, sandals, summer, you get the idea. But instead of washing each other's feet, they just sat there in that stench. And Jesus, boy, he took it upon himself to be a servant. 
And I think, man, what an example for us. If our king is willing to be a servant, who are we to serve only ourselves? And we live in a selfish culture, folks. We do. I'm selfish. You're selfish. We are. We serve ourselves first and then others second. But Jesus showed us what it looked like. Man, he came to be a servant. Number eight, it says that Jesus came to give abundant life. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy Satan. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. What is life abundantly? Eternal life, of course. I'm glad for that, that the Lord has purchased for us eternity, heaven. He said in John 14 that he goes to prepare a place for us. If it were not so, he wouldn't have told us. And he tells us that that place is so amazing that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man what he has prepared for us. We can't even imagine how amazing heaven is going to be. Life abundantly. I so look forward to heaven, where every tear is wiped away, where there's no more sorrow or death. But life abundantly, when Jesus said, I've come to give you life abundantly, it's more than just eternal life. It's more than just someday. It's here and now. In the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our circumstances. And we've talked about that a lot over the last couple sessions that we've been together. How in Philippians 4, 6, that there's that peace that surpasses understanding. In 1 Peter 1, there's that joy that is inexpressible. That we can have a peace that doesn't make sense and a joy that just bubbles over even when things are difficult because of what Jesus has done for us. And what a a beautiful truth that is. Number nine, Jesus came that the world might be saved. We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But Jesus goes on in John 3.17 to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That the world might be saved. Who was in view when Jesus said that the world might look upon me, believe upon me, and be saved? The world was in view. Everybody, anybody who would believe upon Jesus is saved. And I love that. See, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. And people look at Christianity and say, man, that is so exclusive. How could you say that you have the corner on the market? And, it, and the world hates the exclusivity of Christianity. And Christianity is exclusive. There's only one way to heaven. But although it's exclusive, it's not exclusionary, right? Anybody who is willing to come is welcome to come. It doesn't matter what your background, your age, your nationality, the color of your skin, your financial portfolio. It doesn't matter. Jesus came to save all, any who would believe. Number 10, Jesus came to do his Father's will. John 6, 38 says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have everlasting eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. See, Jesus came in the flesh. But he came, uh, although he came willingly, he came obediently. 
And again, the, the night before his crucifixion there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The immense pressure of the events that stood before him, the cross, the wrath of God being poured out upon him for our sin, that was a heavy burden. And he was stressed. The, 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 the sweat that poured down his face was either just pouring down like blood or it really was blood. And we won't get into that debate, but I believe that Jesus suffered from that medical condition where he was bleeding through his pores. And he cried out to the Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to rescue and redeem humanity, let's go that route. But he was surrendered unto death for his next words were, not my will, but your will be done. See, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. He endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the, the cross. He despised the shame. But why did he go through it? The joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It was us. He laid down his will even unto death to do the will of the Father. And that is how we are to live our lives. You know, Jesus said that if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If we make our lives all about us and our will, you know what we're gonna find? All of the things that we accomplish turn to ash in our mouths. All the money that we acquire never satisfies us. It doesn't matter. If we live our lives for us, it's fleeting. It's like the breeze. But if we lose our lives for God's sake, if we say, Lord, my life is yours. I belong to you. You know what we find? Life and life abundantly that Jesus came to give us. Man, what a, a, a wonderful reminder that is that we are to be living sacrifices unto the Lord, even as we studied through in Romans chapter 12. Living sacrifices. Lord, my life is yours. I lay at your feet my will, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, my hurts. And we ought to be those who say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And it feels like such a sacrifice, and it is. But I'll tell you one thing, God's will for your life is a million times better than yours. And that is a guarantee. Number 11, and we're almost finished. Jesus came to divide. Luke 12, 51. Do not think that I have come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. Again, in Matthew 10, 34, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. You say, Pastor Jeremy, that's not very Christmassy. <laughs> What happened to peace on earth and goodwill towards men and Jesus being the Prince of Peace? Well, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Jesus did come and reconcile humanity to God through the cross. Absolutely. But in that event, there was a division that was taking place at the same time. As he reconciled humanity to himself, there was a division of those that belong to him and those that don't. There was this division that, that took place. Jesus... He's always been a very polarizing figure. There is this, this tension, this conflict between people who believe and people who don't. The Pharisees, they were divided about who Jesus was. Uh, as the, there were crowds of people, they heard Jesus speak. Some said, man, he's a good man. Others said, no, he deceives people. There in John chapter 7, uh, amongst the disciples, when Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? Boy, some people said John the Baptist, others said Elijah, others said Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There's lots of ideas about who Jesus was, right? And, and today there's lots of ideas about who Jesus is. Was Jesus just a historical figure? 
By the way, you can't deny the reality of Jesus. I don't care where you land on the issue. He walked the earth and he lived a life. And the crucifixion and the resurrection are both verifiable pieces of history. Just understand that. But there are those who say, boy, Jesus is just a historical figure. or Maybe he was a good teacher. Maybe he is the Savior, but he's a created Savior. The Mormons believe that. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. But Jesus asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Right? When they had said, boy, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're... But who do you say I am? And that's what's important. Who do you this morning in this room in 2023, who do you believe that Jesus is? Is he your Lord and Savior? I hope that he is. But there's always been this kind of polarizing effect that has taken place. And Paul notes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 14 through 16. Uh, he says, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Opposition, division. Uh, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Uh, what fellowship can light have with darkness? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? He says, no one can serve two masters. Right? As Christians, there's a division. We have been set apart, sanctified. We are to take up our cross and follow the Lord and to turn our backs on the world. See, there's this pull for your affection. The world desperately desires you to come into allegiance with them. But there's a division that's taken place. You're no longer of the world. You don't belong to the world. You belong to the Lord. What a wonderful division that is. I'm so glad for that, that we belong to Jesus. And then lastly, Jesus came for judgment. Again, not a flowery Christmassy thing. We don't see it in many Christmas songs. Jesus came to judge. It just doesn't, you know, we don't, we don't do that. But it is a, a wonderfully comforting reality because he came to judge wickedness. He came to judge the rulers of darkness. He came to judge Satan. And this little baby who would live a perfect life and die on the cross, man, punched death right in the mouth, crushed sin and death, judged it a death blow. And so we can take great comfort in joining that. But not only did Jesus come and bring judgment upon Satan. But Jesus is the judge, capital J. He will come and he will judge all of humanity, Christians and unchristians. And we talked about this, and we won't go into great depth this morning, but Christians will face what's called the Bema seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. Unbelievers will face the great white throne judgment. The Bema Seat judgment that Christians will face is a judgment unto rewards. It's not to determine whether or not you are good enough, because we're not. Our merit is based on Jesus' goodness. But the judgment that the unbelievers will face will be to see if they were good enough to get into heaven. It will be judgment unto punishment, because they weren't good enough. Jesus is coming back to judge that little baby that was born 2,000 years ago, came bringing peace and grace, but when he comes the second time, he comes bearing the sword. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And this morning we remember that reality. That again, that that little baby, he came to save us from the judgment to come. Man, what a good thing it is this morning in this season where we remember Jesus, that we would not only remember him, boy, I'm so glad that he came, 
but that we would remember why he came. That he came to make a way for us, to fulfill the law. He came to, to bring truth, to be our true north. He came to proclaim the good news that we might grab a hold of the truth and, and make it our own, that we might be saved. He came to call sinners. That you don't have to clean up your life to come to Jesus, that you come just as you are and he cleans you up. He came to show us the way to shine the light in the darkness, to seek and to save the lost, to actively pursue us and rescue us, to serve us by laying down his life, to pay the price that we couldn't pay, to bring us abundant life now and for all of eternity to anybody who would believe upon him to do the will of the Father, surrendered even unto death, to divide that which is his from that which isn't. And someday he will bring judgment, even as he brought judgment to Satan and brought us freedom. Man, that's the reason. So the next time you hear the 12 days of Christmas, I don't think we could probably fit this into an actual song. On the first day of Christmas, Jesus brought to me the fulfillment of the law. I mean, I guess we probably could try, but it would. But remember when you hear the 12 days of Christmas, remember the 12 reasons for Christmas. Why did Jesus come? And remember that at the heart of all of that, he came ultimately to save us, to set us free, to rescue us. And in the season of remembering, man, we get to remember that this morning. That how is it that that little baby rescued us? By laying down his life. And he wanted us to remember that. And so he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me in the cracker. Remember me in the juice. And man, in a season where it's so easy to get sucked into things that are, are fun, yeah, for sure, but, but miss the point. In a season where it's so easy to, to lose our focus, man, it's so good to come to the table and to say, oh, Lord, that's right. The freedom that we get to experience, the joy because you died in my place the relationship that we get to experience, heaven that we have to look forward to because you shed your blood for us and you dealt with our sin in finality. That's what we get to do this morning. And so, Lord, we thank you for all the reasons that you came. We thank you, Lord, most of all, again, that all those reasons point to the truth that you came to rescue us, to save us, to redeem us. Lord, as we take hold of the cracker and the juice this morning, I pray that we would remember the price that was paid for us. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice in the reality that that brings into our lives, that we are justified just as though we've never sinned. I pray that we would be refreshed and that we would leave this place with you at the forefront of our thinking. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you rescued us. Thank you that you're coming again. We take and we, we eat of these elements this morning and we remember you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.